Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, what's going on? So um, we have with us uh, Michael R. Jackson, our previous guest of the show. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, when you first uh, wrote me, introduced yourself to me, I was like, I thought it was like a fake name. I was like, oh, who's this crazy person writing me, <laughs> writing me? <laughs> because people write me like, uh, and they'll be like kooky sometimes and stuff. And then uh, I I read it and you said you knew Katie Halper. You mentioned the play. I was like, oh, this is a, this is a real, this is a real person. Because people always, for some reason, I'm, there was a stage where people were writing me with pseudonyms. I don't know. I don't know what that was about. But uh, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael is the playwright of A Strange Loop. Uh, recently won a Pulitzer. Were you nominated for other things as well? I feel like I thought I remember you being nominated. For uh, I mean, I we like I won a couple of theater, like some other theater awards, and I I just recently won um the Wyndham Camp the Yale Wyndham Campbell Prize. Yeah, because I knew there were, I knew there were some others. Like I feel like there was some you mentioned on your uh, Instagram. But if there's anything I for, anything I forgot, I mean, there's some things I know, but I don't know if they're supposed to be public knowledge yet. But uh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, but uh, definitely keep your eyes open for Michael. He's going to be in a lot of places soon. Um, but yeah, we were doing with the, God help. What's that? With God, yeah, with God's help, right? <laughs> <laughs> we we were. Uh, talking about this show that was really horrifying called them and this is rare i'm watched the show i was asked to watch the show by leslie lee the third because he wanted to discuss it on struggle session and usually when someone asks me to watch something to watch to discuss on their show i won't discuss it on champagne sharks so i feel like it'll be overkill but there's so much meat on that bone, but rotten meat. I was like, I'm going to break the rule. I can't wait. I, I have to get something off my chest. But that show, uh, spoiler alert, it, uh, my opinion is that it was bad. I'm, I'm not going to even leave you in suspense. Yeah, I mean, it's really horrible. And like painfully, painfully horrible. It's one of those things where when I try to read interviews and look up the intent, I get more confused. Like, I just do not understand what they were thinking. Like, they say a bunch of things, but none of it really, to me, rings true. Like, it's just very, very, very bizarre. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, and I guess we'll get into it, but I just feel like the best example I can come up with when I was watching is that it feels like a, like, a traumatized child's, like, disturbed portrait. Like, they paint, like, a little kid painted, like, like a, a picture and, like, they showed it to their mom and dad, and it's, like, a bunch of demons and, like, eating babies or something. Like, that's what the show is to me. It's, like, just a disturbed portrait mm. from, like, the mind of somebody who's projecting a lot of stuff onto other people. You ever see those movies where, or TV shows where the kid is being, like, haunted or something? And Yes, that's what, exactly. Like, they're possessed or they're haunted. And then, like, the teacher's like, Mr. Bo- Balloon. Yes. 
Trent Carter showed us like he he posted this very disturbing picture. Yes, <laughs> and like and then the parents look at it and they're like, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> that's exactly you're absolutely right. That's a great and I feel and like, like where did you where did you, and then you find out that like they see ghosts or like they you know they're possessed by the devil or something. Yeah, little Marvin here has painted a crazy picture. I don't know what it is. Like, uh, for people who don't know, mm-hmm. little Marvin is the name of the creator of this show and. Uh, I really, I mean, he himself is a mystery because no one I know, including people in entertainment or either as like writers or as uh, people who cover media, no one has kind of heard of this guy. He's got a very thin resume, but he was hired to create and showrun this show. And I saw like one credit for him from five years ago or something as a assistant writer or something on another show. Someone told me he's from the advertising world, but like, I'm just wondering like, how did he get this job? How did he, um, how did he get a deal with Amazon as a showrunner? And this show was approved for two seasons out the gate. They didn't wait for the first season to see how it did. And then announce um, a second season. They gave him straight out the gate uh, two seasons. It's going to be an anthology like American Horror Story. Yeah, my feeling about it is that he probably met people like it. This is probably this is probably like a who you know kind of situation. Like he probably had been like working on this script for the pilot or whatever, and like he just he happened to meet the right people. Like maybe he let met Lena Waithe, who's the one of the executive producers or producers and like i feel like that probably ushered him into you know amazon and stuff because she has like i think she has like she has like a deal with amazon for a lot of her stuff or at least knows those people and i know that for a fact just because i've met her before um now as someone who's met her and you know who has probably spent a lot of time in social circles. You know, I don't want to put you in a position to say anything, you know, too <laughs> too too harsh against her. But at the same time, her actual involvement in this, in this show is kind of minimal. Like like well, it's hard to it's hard to say because I and I think it, I feel like he, he probably really was running the show. Yeah. But like just from my experience of like being on working on a television show, like he, he could have been giving notes. He could have been giving notes to him. He could have been pitching things. Like it's, it's hard to say. But I, my, it feel this feels just from the interviews I've seen with him. This does feel much more like it's more him than her, if her at all. Yeah, and I can believe that just for the mere fact that Lena Waite has her name attached to way too many things at once, and there's no way. She can actively be working on all of them. So I would be inclined to believe that uh, her input was probably very, very minimal. Like, she's interesting in that I'm convinced she must have a team of ghosts or assistants because she has, like, multiple shows on BET, a show on Showtime. It's like she almost has a deal with every network, it seems, simultaneously. Yeah, she's, like, very very connected. Yeah, yeah. And to me, for her to have that many shows... I feel like she probably does some writing, but I feel like she has to have some kind of um, help. I don't know. But uh, yeah, she is she is very connected. So if there's anybody that uh, you'd want to be connected to to get in, I can see her being the one. I went to his Instagram and was trying to piece together just who he was and everything. And I didn't find out much information, but I did see him talking to and meeting a lot of famous people. So, I mean, he does seem to be a, like a, a good networker. Yeah, I mean, that just feels 
to me like the ticket for like so many people who like are getting these deals and you're suddenly finding out they're on these shows. Like it's becoming a very much a, a who you know, especially with the like kind of representation matters ethos in the world. Like people are just very eager to like get folks into these spots and these opportunities almost sight unseen. Yeah. With and, like what, the, what their work mm-hmm. is. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know, there's always someone who, you know, is very, very clever and is like, oh, it's always been that way. Duh. But not like this. I mean, like now, I mean, not at all. Yeah. Being connected always helped, but it's like a whole new level now uh, to me, you know, like, like it's, uh, but how would you describe the plot of this show for people who haven't seen it? Them is about a black family who um, is living in North Carolina and one day, uh, these white people show up and there's a violent encounter that subsequently leads to the death of their infant son. The family has three children. And as after the death of the infant son, uh, the father of the family gets a job opportunity out West. And so the family moves to Compton and the year is 1953. So they, they moved to an all white neighborhood in 1953. And once they get there, they're sort of uh, immediately subject to a lot of racist terror. And I use that very broadly. And, you know, I'm not one of those people that needs to have good white people for balance. I'm fine with every white person in the thing being bad. Like, okay, whatever, because that does happen. Like, you know, I don't, I feel like you don't need that balance. Like, for example, there was a movie, Birth of a Nation by Nate Parker. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. But one thing that I liked about that movie was that all the white people, for the most part, were, um, you know, bad. And even the one that seemed to be being set up to be, like, benevolent, uh, which was, which was, um, what's his name, Army Hammer's character, kind of ends up being uh, a disappointment as, as well. And I said, okay, that's kind of, that's kind of a that's kind of a brave choice. So my problem isn't with you know all the white people being bad, but more like how cartoonishly evil they yeah. were. They were so I mean, they were gargoyles. I mean, they yeah. were like gargoyles from jump in like a way that but then the thing that's also for me becomes the problem is not only were they cartoonishly evil, the char- the black characters didn't react to them. As in in the way that you would if you met cartoonishly evil white people. Yeah. They just were kind of like, kind of bothered by it, but like, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll, it'll pass. No. Which is not, like the way these white people were acting, it was like, they were like on the on the lawn sneering at them and like colored niggers and kind of moving in. Like, it was so ridiculous. One thing they really needed on this thing was um, some historians, but like good historians. Or... Maybe some old people get somebody's uh, Mima in there or something because this thing was very much to me a young person's idea of what the fifties were like based on watching TV and fantasies and stuff like that. You know, you know, like because. Uh, but that's what he said in interviews. He was like, "I looked at pictures of the fifties and I just imagined." That it was like this. Oh God, that makes sense. And like, and he was like, and and like he did, like he was like, oh, I studied redlining and all these things, but it wasn't. It was, I, it was very much like he he was reading history, 
but he was in like all these presentist works that have been coming out, he was projecting his own racial issues onto the characters in the past in order to validate what he feels in the present. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Something else I think he was doing, which I think a lot of people in that camp do, is they act like they invented everything that ever happened. And they do it by kind of erasing what Black people have done before in a way to kind of give them Selves the credit, you know, kind of like how Issa Rae will always uh, have interviews, and it, not her fans. She's trained her fans to say it. Someone tweeted this uh, just uh, today. I saw, you know, there was there was never nerdy black girls before. Black people were always like Amazons or incredible or perfect or superhuman until Issa Rae gave us a regular black black woman. And I was like, what? And this thing feels like I noticed these type of people do that with real life too. Like when you see those um, t-shirts and stuff where they say, we are not our ancestors. Like you will catch these hands. And they think like they're the first uh, black people to ever um, speak out against racism ever. You know, I felt like this had that attitude. Like, like they were just way too docile in a way that I don't really think um, people like that really existed back then. But they also were not even were they docile. They were like, they were they they were ignorant. Like like I just it's so unbelievable to me that after what this family goes through in the very beginning of the movie, which or of the TV show, which they don't fully tell you what it is until many episodes in. Yeah. But like that, it's incredible to me that like a family that that uh, is in the fifties who's probably gone experienced racism and all kind of shit before that then when confronted with even more racist shit in the West, like would not like that they even would move that they like, they had no sense of themselves. They weren't, they didn't seem to have any awareness of the world at all. They just were like this random blank black family that just kind of like didn't have any context or history or anything, even though you see it happen in the very beginning of the movie. They weren't fleshed out at... Or the TV show. I keep calling it a movie, but the TV show. Yeah, well, well with Prestige TV, they try so hard to feel like a movie. I can kind of understand because it, it does try to feel like a movie, you know, but it's right. 10 hours, like 10 hours of torture porn. It's 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 right. one thing to go through a movie of torture porn, but like uh, to, to just clock in 10 hours, it, it, was, it was tough. But in addition to what you said, something else that they had going on I found was they were very two dimensional. And for some reason, the white people had a lot more development than they did. Like we got to see that white racist lady go to her parents' house, have the problems with her parents. And there was like nuances between her and her mom's relationship, her and her dad's relationship, the money, the implication of her husband being closeted gay and in general. And I was wondering like, who was this for? I mean, is it for, white people and that's the reason why the white characters get more nuance and backstory like i felt like the black people had no personality history anything outside of being abused that was it well i but so but this is like my thing with that is that like i actually i feel like this is it this is for i think it's for a white audience as a byproduct I actually truly believe that this is for other black folks who sit at the sort of class level 
that little Marvin sits at. Who and people who like who these black folks who are kind of well to do, but like feel guilty about it, but like are trying to um co-opt uh the experience of black folks who don't who are not actually who actually go through shit. And it's almost like a weird uh cosplay or like wish fulfillment. Like they wish that their lives were as tortured as people black folks who are actually going through kind of racist terror. I think you're right. I think um the part where they're in Compton, uh he's an engineer and they're in a nice middle class white suburb is really them. But they don't mm-hmm. want to just start the story there and have it be fully about them. Cause I think they have this kind of guilt as in we're not really interesting as black people because we haven't known enough struggle. So yeah, I feel like the pre Compton version of them is the cosplay. Like, uh, like, like really their insertion in it only starts at the point where they move into the house. Really? You know what I'm saying? Like, and he becomes a engineer and all that, but they give this whole, and this is this is what it is for people who haven't watched it. They were in the Jim Crow South, I believe North Carolina, um, in the country, and the black woman was gang raped by a bunch of white men and while her baby was being bludgeoned in a pillowcase uh right in front of her by Cat in the bag, cat in the cat bag, in the bag. Cat in the bag. Yep. yep. <laughs> that was that was something the lady kept saying as she was bludgeoning and they were all taking turns. Um, throwing the baby around and bludgeoning it while you saw like these white men take turns heaving and thrusting on top of I mean like, it was just a very unnecessary disgusting drawn out uh, scene and and, it, uh, and it's mm-hmm. also the thing about that scene that for me is very telling is that like it's again there's this class thing because the the, the scene of it very much makes it clear to you that these are like lower class yes white people good catch and like and and also maybe even like mentally disturbed like mentally like they like mentally retarded or whatever like um and like and 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 they were sort of descending upon this sort of like very well composed black woman in like a kind of nice big house in the middle of north carolina like like I, i also couldn't figure out like where i was like this is north carolina but like where in North Carolina is this? Yeah. And like, what kind of neighborhood does she live in? Is she just all deserted alone on this, what is what is old grizzly looking white lady comes up to her and starts singing like a racist song. And then like these white men show up, but it was like very clear. They, they, they needed for us to be like, these are like lower class, grimy white people, not like the, the white people that you'll come to meet when they move the content. Yeah. And I don't know if they did that to kind of show that all white people are bad, no matter their um, class level their class, or if they were trying to help you get, get a reason for why they would. Cause okay. There was something that I didn't understand. And that was why would people with that heinous, a history with white people just move to another lily white neighborhood? Uh, you would think they would make no sense. They would not want to even subject themselves to that, even if it's up north white people or middle class white people. But maybe, maybe what little Marvin thought is, if I make it poor white trash people that rape her and kill the kid, then maybe the implication would be that she trusts these white people because they're middle class. But to me, that's still a reach because 
there's no way she does not know that middle class white people can be just as racist as poor white people. Well, I, I will say they he does try to do this thing because she actually has a pro. The wife does not want to. When she finds out it's an all white neighbor, she's like upset about it. Oh, you're right. She I doesn't want to live there. Yeah. The husband is the one that's like, it's okay, we'll be fine. Which I think that they try to sort of like play out this storyline, although it's very weak, that the husband is like um, dealing with his own trauma from the war, which I actually, I found that to be confusing. Yeah. Because I was like, what happened in the war? But whatever happened in the war is like, seems to make make it so that like, he's suppressing his like inner nigga for lack of a better term because that ends up being a whole thing that happens later yeah. and then and and so like make the husband is pushing them move into this white neighborhood as a way of suppress of like making sure they fit in or they or they suppress their inner blackness like that's like that's the little bit i get out of it yeah and what you just touched on there is another big problem with this work is that it is very much pastiche like it's ridiculously pastiche it's a pastiche of all these things from the past and present but it's also a pastiche of this current trend of black horror and i think that whole uh tap into your inner nigger is something that was very much in jordan peele's get out like um you know the song that was being sung when you know they were driving and the road was uh something about listen to your ancestors and then what hits the windshield of the car and get out, but a buck, you know, and the buck gets hit by the car and a buck is a term. Oh, is that what that was? That was a buck. No, I, I just, I, cause I just thought, oh, it's a deer. And I kept being like, I know this must be a symbol of something, but I don't know what it is. It's a buck. Now I see. Oh, that's so stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so mad at that. It's very heavy handed, right? Uh, <laughs> it, it gets worse. So the song is an African song playing called Listen to the Ancestors. And as the song Listen to the Ancestors is playing, a buck hits the windshield and gets killed by the car. But it's also a sign like to reclaim your, a buck is a stereotype of a hyper-masculine black man. So to me, I felt like it was trying to say, uh, tap into, because uh, you're neutering yourself to kind of not be the angry black man or, you know, fit in with your white girlfriend's family. Yeah, fit in with your white girlfriend's family. You don't stand up for yourself when you're you're challenged, and like that was a sign to reclaim like like the buck in you. But if you remember when he sets himself free, this is how heavy handed it gets. How does he set himself free? He puts cotton in his ears, so he has to pick cotton, uh, right, to free himself. But then he kills the father with what a buckhead. The head of a buck. So right. he reclaims being a buck <laughs> to kill the father. And I felt like that's kind oh of... Oh, my God. I, like, never picked up on any of that. I picked up on the cotton thing, but not the rest of it. Yeah. So I think, like, little Marvin... Because this thing seems like he's just trying to take a piece of everything. So I felt like the whole reclaim the nigga in you thing was a theme that's been in a lot of these movies that he was trying to do. But even if you think Jordan Peele could be pretty heavy handed, which I think he was, at least there was a coherence to it. He followed it right. through. Whether you think it was yeah, stupid yeah. and heavy handed, he followed it through. Whereas little Marvin just seems to start threads and just be like, oh, they'll get it. Or I'm not really sure. I'm, I kind of want to put another rape in here. So I'm not going to really. Right. Yeah. So 
I agree with you. The way he did it was very half-baked. You're right. Something was going on with the war, but it was just was not, not working. Uh, here's another thing that I think is the reason for that, right? He's trying to write um, mystery box style, which is the J.J. Abrams, Damon Lindelof, that horrible new style that they do with a lot of flashbacks uh, where they make the storytelling nonlinear, not for any good reason, but because they just want to give it the illusion of depth and complexity. So, for example, like a real mystery, this is the difference between a mystery and a mystery box. Like a real mystery is usually stuff that the protagonist doesn't know. So you're you're finding out or figuring out stuff alongside the protagonist and you need those clues or those missing ingredients to make sense of the story and you and the protagonist together are discovering this stuff but mystery box stuff as opposed to straight up mystery is when they withhold stuff from you that keeps you from even knowing the basics of what's going on but it's stuff that the protagonists know it's only being withheld from the audience so that the audience can spend time just figuring out okay what the hell and an example of that is the woman getting raped the um baby getting killed like there was no real reason to keep that from the audience until like episode five there's no reason to have the flashback all the way back to episode nine in in episode nine but that's what mystery box stuff stuff does it just makes it non-linear for no good reason and and um just sprinkles easter eggs throughout and then has like a flashback like watchman did that a lot too like just i was just mm -hmm. i was just watching so like i i've been slowly watching watchmen for like two years now (laughs) because every seriously because like i started watching it like two christmases ago because i just was trying to get around to it and i just kept every time i watch it i'm like what is happening who is that what is what is this character's name like what everything because everybody's wearing a mask but then it's flashing back so when they didn't have a mask on, so I'm like, can't keep track of anything. And so it just, I'm always finding this to be such a chore. And I just got to episode three, like three weeks ago. And in that, it's like, again, like more flashbacks and more, yeah. like, I can't, you, I can't follow anything. From Lost, they've always done that. And J.J. Abrams loves it. They, they all love that stupid time skipping around. What's going on? What does this mean? It's not going to make sense until the flashback then you can rewatch it and realize it all makes sense yeah it's horrible and little marvin is trying to do that but these things are bad even when done competently you know what i'm saying like uh and and he's not even doing it competently and i think and but i think in this like he's trying i think he's doing it because it the whole thing is ultimately supposed to be about the family coming to terms with their the trauma from the very beginning. And so that's why he's withholding everything. But like the Trump, but they're also trying to come to terms with like their blackness in a certain way. But like, again, that gets for me, that's where everything really gets muddy because it's like, it's all again, more this projection from little Marvin about like what that even means what are the reasons behind it? What it meant for people in 1953 versus what it might mean for him being a kind of black man, I assume working in a predominantly white uh, context and trying to strive and move upward, like which is what the father is basically doing and what the daughter, the teenage daughter is sort of 
he gets caught up in that. And that's the other thing with this movie, with this TV show, is that like it just keeps throwing all of the the trope issues into of the day yeah. into it, like colorism and darks. You're pretty for a colored girl and and microaggressions, and all that kind wall of to wall microaggressions. microaggressions. So many, so many microaggressions. Yeah. That's where all the work in this show went. Number one, microaggressions. Number two. Straight up aggressions, like those are. That's where all the work goes. Really straight up aggressions. Yeah, and then like those dolls. Yeah, and they just like left it, and the way they just left them hanging there for days at a time. Yeah, and how long would it take for all that to happen so quietly? They're setting the lawn on fire, hanging up like a hundred dolls, and nobody <laughs> wakes up. No with, one like that with, no- with nooses around them. Yeah. I mean, like that—that's a whole project. That's like an entire set of uh, racial violence that they put up there, and it was just like—I mean, that was a lot of work. But what—what what was really um, crazy about the whole thing, right? They spent less time. If they had cut out like one third of the microaggressions and maybe half of the straight-up aggressions and all the scenes of them just staring at stuff, looking sad, you could have f- fleshed out his. Allison Pill smiling creepily. Yeah, Allison Pill smiling. That she, she's the one who plays the white, the white. Uh, so, and everything is like a trope or a cutout. Like Allison Pill as a 1950s wife is more 1950s wife than even June Cleaver. Like she's so, like she looks ghostly and just really weird. Right. Like everything is caricature. They could have filled in some backstory about the guy's war experience that you were talking about. They could have given them some kind of personality. They could have given them some kind of. They could have explained who those people they were visiting in East Compton were. Like they could have said he was in the war with um my man from Lovecraft Country. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Tick. <laughs> they could have done something, but all they really cared about was just checking off trope boxes and and issue boxes and just trying to cram in as many um, microaggressions as they could. The older daughter, um, she wasn't us and. My problem with her is she's born in Brooklyn, but she sounds like she's like, um, you know, her, her diction is is very modern and northern. And you mm-hmm. mean to tell me she just came from North Carolina? I don't know something about her. I mean, none. I mean, none, none of them, them have sounded, southern accents. But at least the other ones are trying to do an accent, and it was not working. But they were—you could tell they were trying to do something. But she was just talking like a, you know, Disney Channel girl. Like it didn't sound right. That's right. Yeah, it did not work at all. Yeah, like she could have just been like a, a best friend character and like loved Simon or something. Exa- yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, like it was just it was very jarring to me. Like her her voice, and she's supposed to be fresh out of North Carolina, one week out of North Carolina. Like it's it was very it's just very lazy in a lot of details, except raping and killing. That's the only thing it really. You know, they they wanted to make sure you saw all the blood and the gore and the like violence and the. It was wild. There's no reason. Cat in the bag. Cat in the bag. Cat in the bag. Cat in the bag. <laughs> oh god, that's just traumatizing <laughs> to even hear "cat in the bag." Uh, Yo, know, ten hours. There's no reason any show should be ten hours on four characters and still be that underdeveloped. Like they had more than enough time to do a lot. Like, and so many things don't land. So many things are under un undercooked and. I have no idea why. They had more than enough canvas. Here's the thing else. And this is what a lot of these new black shows have. A lot of these uh, talentless tent shows is the anachronisms. Like 
I'll give this show credit in at least it didn't throw in rap. It's 1953. You're throwing in 70s soul. You're throwing in funk. You're throwing in 60s music. He's trying to do an Alfred Hitchcock type of Saul Bass psycho credits thing with them. You know how them looks? But they didn't have that style. Alfred Hitchcock and Saul Bass didn't really have that style yet by 1953. But it seems like the set creators and stuff just are having Easter eggs of old things. And they don't care if the Easter eggs fit. Like, oh, old is old. Uh, who cares? 60s, 70s, right. 50s. It's all the same, right? So, yeah, it was, it was really annoying to me. And it's funny that, like, I mean, because Lovecraft Country did that, too. Yeah. I mean, but even some more egregious effects, because they, they just, and they would the try to um, part, put that shit in the story. Yeah, with the bloody so, shoes. Like, they, reverse, they, they reverse engineer it to whatever was in the, the present day song. Yeah, yeah, like the bloody shoes and uh, Bodak Yellow. They worked in bloody shoes into the plot. Yeah, I mean, sad to say, this show actually showed more restraint than Lovecraft Country, but it was still just annoying that they just kept trying to fill it with Easter eggs. Like, a lot of people thought it was going to be like us, and I think they made people think that. Like, they did a lot to contribute to that thing, but I would say it was probably more plot-wise like The Shining and American Horror Story. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it just was not good. I, I don't know. It's like, I don't know where to even start. There's so much wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just like, my biggest thought about it, and I, like I've been talking to some friends about this, is like, it's just, I just was disturbed by, because it's like what I've seen about projection, like those black characters were basically just paper dolls to be held over a flame. Mm. And what you're watching it through the whole thing is just watching them curl and blacken. And like, and the reason why they are that is because little Marvin as the creator's projection thinks that that's what black people are, that we are paper dolls that are just held over an open flame. And so, and he thinks he's doing us a, the world a favor by having this depiction to, to say, as is to say, this is real life. This is what it's like. And like, but it's not like that. It's your projection that's totally not mitigated by any sort of like nuance or tension or um, uh, contradiction or anything. It's just like, watch these Black people suffer because that's what we all are. We all are suffering. And I just find that to be really untruthful. But it also seems like... um I'm sorry, but it seems to me like there's some kind of titillation akin to a snuff film that you're supposed to get from the suffering. Like, I think it's supposed to revulse you, but also kind of titillate you because it's just... Turn you on. It's it's way too overkill. Like, I can get it's miserable without that much focus and gratuitous detail. You know what I mean? Like, there's this level of... Um, and in general with these people, I just think for whatever reason, racism and titillation is inextricably fused for them, you know, which is kind of like why um, there's so much uh, slave play imagery in a lot of um, the works that these people do. I'm not even just including the actual play slave play. I mean, like just where there's Lovecraft Country or Insecure, like there's some kind of, I mean, I can't explain it, but I I think there's something about racial violence that both horrifies a lot of these people and kind of gets them off. And I don't know what it is, but it's not my cup of tea to watch. 
Yeah, I think it, but I think it's because they feel that they're, they so internalize this idea of their own despair that it becomes, it becomes, um, it does become like, it's like a kind of masturbation. Mm. It is what gets them off because they don't have any, their sense of themselves is like, like when I watch interviews with Little Marvin, he's like, I want to do the show because of everything I see on the news. It, but like, it's like he watches the news or he watches, you know, these images of racial, racist violence and he internalizes it for himself. And then he wants to give that back to you. Mm. And he thinks that that is because that's his sort of, or that the people who do this work, that's their, that's their kink. Like they don't know any, like they don't have any objectivity about, about the, the world that they live in. And that's like, I was talking to, you know, our mutual friend and and I was like, why? I, I just don't understand why people need to talk about racism with hyperbole. Just talk about racism. Mm. If that's what you're going to talk about in this, it literally in, in, in the, in the, the article that we were reading by the, the, the critique, literally it turned the, the whole thing ends up going into the devil. Yeah. That's a great that, like, point. The devil, <laughs> that, like the devil is racist. And it's like that, like that. And so you have to, you like, you have, you're so have internalized this, this weird idea about racism. that has to become hyperbole to like mythological, yeah, like yeah yeah point? i had the same I had the same problem with lovecraft country where and, and watchman had it too where like this kkk plot was really and police brutality and racism was really um related to some kind of master plan with the mind control ray and it's like okay you want to get credit for and, and lovecraft country also had like you know this magic spells behind white or abusing black people because they need their magic and they need their blood for something. And it's like, okay. You- and the and the racist white policemen also were working for the like the wizard racist yes. racist wizards. And so that you must think for all the horror they're doing, it must be because they're powered by like something from underneath the earth. Like it's just so insane. Yeah, there's actual pragmatic reasons why they're doing this stuff, you know? And it's almost it's almost implied that this ghost might even be subtly influencing the uh, people, the white people in this town, you know? So maybe he's even ratcheting up their natural racism. And it's weird. They want so much credit for, I call like this type of TV homework TV because so much of it is clearly meant for like Vox writers and slate writers to annotate, you know? So it's like first episode, the slate of Vox writers going to write, you know, read American apartheid to learn about redlining. Here's, here's your, here's your homework <laughs> to expand on this stuff in this episode. Here's Ta-Nehisi Coates essay on reparations. And it talks about, and that's what they did with Watchmen. Like yep. all, like when I first started watching it, I was like, y'all, I was like on social media. I was like, what's going on? What, how, what's happening? They're like, Oh, you have to go back and read the original Watchmen and then the movie. And like, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I am not watching um, a, 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 I'm not reading a book so that I can understand a motherfucking episode of television. But also, you don't even need the book to understand that anyway, because it's so subpar to the book. It's it's not even funny. Uh, but but I, I mean, they use real life as homework and Easter eggs. They treat real life like, for example, Lovecraft Country. There's someone who's like, oh, that's Jackie Robinson. Oh, that that's a Emma Till Easter egg. Like they turn actual civil rights heroes and atrocities into 
Easter eggs up there with like, you know, Captain America shield in the background of the um, Hulk movie and stuff. It's like, it's like, which they then overlay with a banana Rama song. Oh God. (laughs) This, This stuff is so bad. And, that's what drives me crazy about them calling themselves um, black excellence, and it's really not excellent. It's 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 really not. And I'm not one of those people that thinks British people should never uh, play black Americans, but I do think a lot of times they hire them unnecessarily. As in, okay, this acting job that this guy put in, there's no reason you can hire an American guy for that. You know, you know, for example, um, um, with. I'm trying to think of of the example, and it's also like, who was he? I I never seen him before. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't even have to be like a British guy with any name. Like you know, it's just hey, you're British. You can do this better. But but uh, like I'll give you an example. Queen and Slim. The job that Daniel Kaluuya brought to Queen and Slim. I was like, come on, you you really needed him. You couldn't just you could have gotten any random American black actor to do that caliber of uh, work and. But this thing, I think, was a more insidious thing. Like, everybody was upset about Daniel Kaluuya, the British guy, playing Fred Hampton or whatever. But that wasn't that bad to me. I mean, like, he wasn't incredible, but he wasn't terrible. Like, okay. But this hiring British people to play this couple who came from Jim Crow was victims of racial terrorism. That really bothered me because, to me, I felt they hired them because they knew the degrading stuff that was going to have to be um, put on screen. And they they knew, like, we can't ask a black, black American actor or actress to, to do this. This is... Uh, yeah, I can't, like, thinking about it, like, when I look at something like the, the, the character of the father and them, it's very clear to me that, like, Coleman Domingo, somebody like yeah. that, is who actually should play that part. But the truth of it is, is that if you cast somebody like him in that part who comes from the experience, he's going to read that script and be like, this is some bullshit. Yep. Hopefully he would. Yeah. I, I think mean, he would. But, or like he would, because like the things that they have that actor doing to like express this experience, he doesn't, he literally doesn't know. And like he, and, and it's for a part like that, you have to know because the way that the whole thing is constructed is around a projection of of a, a, a very specific kind of black man's experience that little Marvin created. So little Marvin creates this like totally projected image of black American black male terror. So it actually weirdly makes sense to me that he would cast somebody British in that because that person can just treat that experience like a, a costume. Yes. Yes. They don't have to. They don't. They don't have to dig into it in any sort of real way. Because the person who would dig into it in a real way would know that it wasn't for real. And they wouldn't really, I don't think, would excel in the pardon at all. But, but but also, they might not even enjoy that. They might be like, this is exploitative. This is what my grandparents, yeah. my great-grandparents went through. And mm-hmm. you need more meat on this bone. Like, like why... Yeah, they would be like, why am I doing yeah. this? What, what does this mean? Like, they just, it will, even if they, in good faith, were trying to do it, they would be asking all these questions and that I don't think little Marvin would be able to answer because, again, what he's writing is a projection. And little Marvin, when you go to his um, Instagram page, he's half Indian. And I don't know where his black side is from, uh, but 
the pictures all show him growing up in the suburbs. I have no idea what his connection to his blackness is or what his class level is. You know, you know what I mean? But he might be pretty um divorced from this stuff, this stuff as well. Like his Instagram page was like way more his mom I saw all over the place and then his uh his dad um did is Indian mom. So it's like, I just felt like there's a lot of the blind leading the blind here because the kids are kids. So say, say they are like of American descent. They're, they're young. They don't understand this stuff. And that's nothing else that bothered me. Making kids act through this was very, very bizarre to me. Like, why would you put young black kids through this and have Especially because they don't, they don't understand what the fuck is going on. Yeah, but also, but they're having, but they're having to do it. Also, I feel like you don't care about the kids. Um, this is a British actor named David Harewood, and like f- over four years ago, when the um, Get Out controversy was happening, he gave a response to the controversy with Sam Jackson, where and it was in the Guardian. It's a story that says David Harewood says black British actors may be better suited to American roles. And the subtitle is Harewood, who plays CIA director in Homeland, says UK actors may be able to more easily, quote unquote, unshackle ourselves from the burden of racial realities. And what he said is British people may be better suited to some parts because they are not burdened by, quote, what's in the history books, end quote. And he says, um, perhaps because they are not, quote, real American brothers, that's, that's his words, he and other black British performers are able to quote unshackle ourselves from the burden of racial realities and simply play what's on the page um right so what he was basically trying to say was that their lack of connection allows them to treat like real life racial historical atrocities as just another role or as you put it just um cosplay so the reason i bring up that article is to say that uh I think your instincts are right. And we have on record somebody actually pointing that out as a strength. Like I'm, I'm just going to go in and I'll play whatever degradation or craziness you need me to play and not internalize it. Like, you know, and plus it probably makes the white people on set more comfortable too, to know that the black person who's reliving this stuff in front of you is not anyone who has any type of connection to this stuff historically through his lineage because that'll make you feel guilty and fucked up as a, as a white person, you know? Right. Um, and so the whole thing, so it's weird because so then the whole thing is actually really safe for everybody to watch at, and again, at the same time, it's a kind of minstrelsy. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, which it gets at, which with a literal blackface character in it. Yeah. What I was looking for was them talking about the research and reading articles and reading books. And like there was nothing about personal connection to the story, the two British people. Um, right. Yeah. So they just made it sound like they were uh, prepping for a comic book movie. Like, yeah, I got a bunch of X-Men comics, you know, um, to read, to get to figure out the, ca- the the character Wolverine. It was it felt it felt like like that hearing the two British people talk about um, their preparation for it. And they just like, like the other guy said, they just treated it like, Hey, what's on the page. This is a character. Like, like there was no real, real connection to, um, to anything. And you, and you felt it. They both felt very, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it, but nothing felt genuine about the whole thing. Yeah, no, not at all. It just, 
it, I mean, it was minstrelsy. Like, and I keep coming back to that. Like, it just was a minstrel performance. But I feel like that minstrel performance itself is a projection of how little Marvin feels. Like, I think there's a part of, like, if I, and I'm not a psychologist and I don't know him, but like, if it's true, like, I, cause I didn't realize that he was half Indian and half black. So if that's true, to me, it's like, I'm half Indian, I'm half black, but I'm telling this very specific kind of story of like black racist terror that ultimately culminates in a minstrel character coming out of the character who sort of uh, represents me. That's who has been sort of suppressing their blackness the whole movie or whole story. So like, it seems like it's all minstrelsy that like he, little Marvin on some level has grown up in the suburbs, what as whatever, not like half black, half any, whatever feels like inauthentic or something. It's like, feels all baked into the narrative and into the characters. Yeah. And, and you know, something that I saw happening and, I get so tired of when this happens. Like, for example, there's a show called Ginny and Georgia on Netflix. And that this horrible uh, scene between a biracial black girl and a biracial Asian guy. And all these people online, the usual representation matters people. They were like, oh, I bet two white women. I bet white women wrote this. And then someone said, yep, look at these white women. And they and they put um, the, this found the name of two white women on IMDb. And everyone for like a whole day was like, oh, yeah, white women. Uh, that's why you need black people. So then I actually did the research and it was actually two black people that wrote the episode. And then um, the dialogue itself was ad-libbed by the actual actors of color in the role. And the worst and the worst lines were actually created by them. So I um, pointed out, I was like, actually, uh, this is all people of color writing this horribly offensive, uh, inauthentic uh, dialogue. And I looked up all their bios and they all had those kind of bios where, you know, they were kind of divorced from their blackness. Uh, like I, I found some of the stories, someone had podcasts yeah. and personal essays and they all talked about their moment of discovering they were black and stuff like that. So, you know, I was, and then people were still making excuses like, Oh, you don't know what they actually wrote and didn't wrote, didn't write, you know, right. uh, it could have been. It could have been somebody else. Yeah, but I found the. Uh, I went to their Instagram pages, the Twitter pages, and I'm like, if that's the case, then these people are lying because they claim they wrote those exact lines. Like I understand how sh- how show running works, where sometimes the person credited didn't actually write everything in the thing. You know, like they just happened to be given the credits because they did a bulk of the work or something. But in this particular case, and the reason I bring that up was the same thing was happening with this where people um kept trying to say looks like those white writers uh strike again and i'm like people have to hang on to this because they just want to believe their representation is going to make a difference but half the writers room based on my research was black and the showrunner and show creator was was uh black or half black and lena wait is the executive uh producer i think it's time to just kind of admit that uh, white supremacy doesn't always need white people to run anymore. It's been internalized yeah, and, and automated also, enough. You don't. Yeah, that's, that's right. And like, that's also why I get, always get so annoyed when like, I, even like in the news or analysis, when people are talking about political groups and like about, uh, and they'll talk about white liberals, but they never will talk about black liberals because they think that like black liberals somehow 
like are separate from the project of what than what white liberals are. And I'm like, no, they're all doing the same thing. Yep. And if you go to little Marvin's on Instagram, I mean, he's the total shit lib. He's a total like uh, stereotypical liberal, like, you know, all day long, orange man, bad uh, Joe Biden will save us. Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams. Um, I saw like at least six I voted stickers. Like every time he votes, he poses with the I voted sticker, like total stereotypical um, liberal. And it was like, it really shows shows in this. This is for the NPR tote bag crowd. Uh, the only positive reviews I've seen from this thing are from um, white liberals. Interestingly enough, this thing, I think, miscalculated. And I've even a lot of black, black people check to want to fuck with it. I mean, I've seen some black liberals that are like all in. For oh, really? Oh, damn. Who are like, like one of them that, like, they're not reviewers, but they're like just folks that I know from the theater world who are like, I loved it. Oh, or one person I posted was like, I, I know posted like them, every black person on this planet needs to see them. Them is like, hold on, I actually need to find the post. I'm going to read it. While you're looking for it, I was just going to say, this to me is my true litmus test for if you're crazy or not. If, you, if, if, you're, if you're black, if you're shit, not if you're black, if you're anything and you watch this show and you liked it, I am going to be wary around you because uh, this show is just, um, it's a product of mental illness. Like it makes Lovecraft Country feel like, um, you know, the spook who sat by the door. Oh, oh, you still looking for still it? Looking. Yeah, like I would rather watch Lovecraft Country a hundred times over this. And I did not like Lovecraft Country. No, Lovecraft Country was trash. Yeah, it was it was hot garbage, but compared to this, man, it was uh Charles Burnett, it was uh Chameleon Street, like it was it was a uh, every good black movie you can imagine, um compared compared to this. And this this was and I just wanna know like how this thing was approved. He signed the deal with Amazon, and oh, I found it. Okay, oh, off the bat, they gave him two seasons. I, I I might have said this already. I don't remember if I said it off the air or while we were recording. The only reason I'm repeating is because I can't remember if I said it before we recorded. But it's not very often that you get greenlit for two seasons when you're not somebody with the name. Like you know, like some people have a big name, and when they sign up with Amazon, Amazon or Netflix or whatever, they'll have like a couple of years guaranteed or, you know, uh, whereas like, uh, you're a big enough name that we, you, you get two seasons out the gate, but yeah, they gave him two seasons and the, like, we don't care what the ratings are. We trust. And I'm like, does Lena Waithe have that much pull? Like, I know she's popular, but she's that she can get a total nobody, a two season commitment. And he's an overall deal. I think so. I think he, he's into them for more than just the two seasons of the show. So I think part of it, and this is I all this is the kind of thing I always forget because I forget like just how crazy the world we live in is. But like part of I feel like we can't forget that this show is on Amazon. And because it's on Amazon, Amazon's all Amazon really wants is for people on that website clicking and buying. Mm. So like so like if Lena Waithe is somebody who can get people to Amazon, particularly like if they're either it, it, whether they're black folks or whether they're white liberals of a certain, you know, class or whatever, as long as they, she can drive, he or her content or her people's content can drive people to that website. It kind of maybe for from Amazon's perspective, 
it doesn't really matter. It's a win-win in that way. Um, that's the only thing I can really, that's the only thing I can like sort of come up with to think about why all this like horrible content can just get greenlit and multiple seasons and shit like that. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one. Go to again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good. <laughs>